episode 167 of Friends of Film, where you bring the latest movie news and view the biggest new release, which this week is Us. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man who has never seen Pulp Fiction, Josh Straley. I knew you were going to bring that up. How could I not? I knew it, and I even tried to like remedy it before I came on the show this morning, and I didn't do it. All I did was get past where I had gotten to the previous two times I've started to watch it was as soon as Sam Jackson and John Travolta bust in and um, just take down whoever oh they're gosh. taking down you, in there. That's like, that's so early on. It is so early on. Yeah. I get, I can't get past like the Royale with cheese part and that's as far as it goes. <laughs> Why? I don't know. And I know, oh wait, no, I think I've gotten to the, to Ving Rhames showing up in the club. Okay. But that's about it. Cause he's the guy with the earring. Yeah. And that's it. That's all I knew. So, but when that came around, that Netflix film was like, "What are your fake talking points?" It was like, "Oh, I, I know exactly what movie I'm going to do this for," because I like set out to get all of these quint- quintessential Tarantino movies down and done, you know. But it, it just I falls apart every time I start it because I'm like, "Oh man," because I'll do it at like one a.m. in the morning. I'm like, "Oh well, yeah, that's I'll a bad in. decision." <laughs> exactly, and it's like twenty two minutes of thirty rock. Then it becomes like you know five, seven episodes. Right, and I should have just went to Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and I have no, I have no cover. You just have to, yeah. You just gotta plan it out, and uh, you know, we'll talk about the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood trailer later on in the episode. Um, but that comes out in like July or something, so mm-hmm. you've got time to catch up. On his previous eight movies before he gets to number nine. And I think you've, you've seen Inglorious, you've seen Hateful Eight, mm-hmm. both the Kill Bills. Both the Kill Bills. Uh, Jackie Brown. Have you seen Jackie no. Brown? Uh, have you seen Reservoir Dogs? No. No? So you're missing Jackie Brown, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. And... I got Django. Okay. So, so it's so, five of the nine. So you, so well, and obviously Once Upon a Time is the ninth one. So oh, five of the so eight. So you're missing Jackie Brown, Reservoir, Reservoir, and Pulp. So like his first three? I think. Oh, yeah. That's not as egregious as no. I was thinking. But, I mean, two of them are, you know, heralded <laughs> as some of the, the best cinema That's of true. all time. So, That's true. Um, But if you want to be, like, up to date and know what um, things I am seeing and not seeing and what Friends of Film is seeing and not seeing and tweeting about, you can do that on Twitter, at Friends in Film. But while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our episodes and our shows on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Anywhere podcasts can be found, but especially on Apple Podcasts, if you can, please rate and review us. That'll ultimately help rank us, and then we can find more friends of the show. And right now, still, if you do that and send us a screenshot, we'll shoot you over a free digital copy of First Man. Yeah, we'll probably let that go for another week, so if you don't do it before then, it'll just go to waste. So take advantage. We're just trying to give you... A digital copy of an Oscar-winning film. We'll just tweet it to some rando at that right. point and be like, "Hey, do you want this? Hey, Go do you want it. this? We should just oh, be proactive about this. Maybe, maybe we'll just become nice and <laughs> just give them away without having to do anything. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, we're also giving away a Captain Marvel poster, uh, which is really easy to win. You just have to retweet uh, the post that is on our main page. So uh, go to that. Uh, actually, you, the time you guys are hearing this, the winner already announced. So there's actually no benefit to you if you're hearing this right now. So uh, sorry about Too that. Too late. And congrats Too late. to that future winner. But yeah, hopefully uh, whoever you won. Hopefully you listen to this and uh, you continue to listen. Great participation as well. Absolutely. Um, but before we get into uh, the highly anticipated review of Us, uh, we've each watched something else this week, I'm sure, even if it wasn't uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, Josh, is there anything that the listeners should know about? Uh, yes, there is. The Netflix's Motley Crue biopic, The Dirt, is it's fine, mm-hmm. but it's not great. And it's it's better than the band-produced versions 
love it's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, okay. Um, in terms of story and how it tries to capture this crew, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, but ultimately, there's no insight, and it's just basically like a college party movie where lessons are learned, but also like you know they came, they saw, they conquered, and they rode off into the sunset. Right. And that's really all it does. Um, there's nothing unique about it in any way. Um, Jeff Tremaine does a good job with energy. He'll have something to do in the future, I'm sure. <laughs> but other than that, that's really all the notes I've got on it. Okay. Uh, I saw an early screening of Shazam. Uh, you did? Courtesy of Fandango and AMC. They were putting it on uh, yesterday as the time of recording this. Um, for just general public, there are two showings. I went to one of them and uh, had just an absolute blast uh, with this movie. Uh, it is just so fun, super enjoyable. Uh, the comedy is there, as you would expect from the marketing and everything, um, both from Zachary Levi, um, but also Asher Angel's uh, pretty good in the movie, even though I think Billy, he, he, there's, there's some possible hiccups with this character you kind of have to overcome, but we can get into those next week or in two weeks when we actually do a full review of the movie. Um, but Jack Dylan Grazer is the breakout. He is so good and brings a lot of the heart to the movie that uh, it really needs. And Mark Strong, really um, impressive villain as Savannah. So uh, again, we'll get into all this later. Is there anything you have a question about? I do have a question about okay. rumor is that what we see in marketing is like a third of the movie and there's, two or five different elements that get stacked on top and open the thing up to something even more adventurous. I mean, the yes. Okay, to a certain, cool. To a certain degree, yes. Cool. The marketing has done a really good job of not showing a lot. There's there's a couple teases here and there uh, in the marketing of, oh, this could be something bigger. Um, and be sure to, actually, to stick through the credits all the way when you do go see it uh, in two weeks. So uh, other than that, uh, we both saw Us this week. We did. The highly anticipated sophomore effort by Jordan Peele, who had his breakout uh, sensation in 2017 with Get Out, the Oscar-winning uh, movie. And this one is proof that there's no sophomore slump coming for Jordan Peele because he really knocks it out of the park with us in a lot of different categories. Um, I think it's really thought-provoking. It's well-crafted, um, but it's also uh, it's more of a thriller than I would say it's a horror movie, which I think um, could be debated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was going in, you know, you see these pull quotes and everything of you know, uh, greatest horror movie of all time and stuff, and I was like, alright, that's probably a little, um, you know, far far-fetched um an initial reaction just this this early on uh to give it that to give that title but also then i was expecting oh like jump scares like legitimate scares like all this stuff and i didn't really have that mm-hmm. with us which was a, which was a surprise mm-hmm. um and not that big of a negative but i was kind of expecting like a couple of them because like jordan peele was like this is like a horror movie it's much more expansive in how it it defines horror for yes. sure. And we're living in like an expansive horror age where yes. we've broken out of those like dark house tight corners, <laughs> jump scare cliches. Right. I mean like, and there are those elements to this movie where it's like, Oh, this is like the home invasion aspect. And like, you can tell this is where like the, I think it gets the most horror, like traditional horror um, elements are during those sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just what, uh, Jordan Peele is able to do here with the concept he has at his, at his disposal that he has dreamt up um, is really fascinating. It is a movie that the second it ends, you're like I need to go watch that three or four more times just to get a different perspective on it, but then also just try to understand it um, even in a much deeper way than you can kind of take away. I think the first time around, um, the real standout here is uh, Lupita Nyong'o 
she gives an absolutely stellar performance that I think um, needs to be in the conversation come next February for awards consideration at the Oscars. Because if it's not, um, as I mentioned, my review that is on friendsfilm.wordpress.com, this will have to be a historic year for women performers because Lupita is just so dang good um, by showing the two different roles she has to play here um, are completely opposite, but then they're also somewhat the same. And she strikes such a great balance of doing them differently, but then also not only with her voice, but also in the way she moves and the aggression um, and the the sympathy and just the turn she has to take with both characters uh, is super fascinating. Winston Duke is the new perfect movie dad. He is just so phenomenal in this role. <laughs> uh, he is a dad joke machine at the start and really helps get you just hooked in uh to really love this family uh, that is just away on a vacation. And I think the kids are both really good. The, the daughter, um, especially Shahida Wright Joseph, I thought she was just so, so, so good. Um, and then even like Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss both do really good jobs with their smaller roles um, in the movie as well. So I think there's a lot of good to this movie. The only thing that is like a potential holdup for me is uh, the, it leaves you with questions and the sometimes some of these are good questions but some of these are like i i feel a little like like i needed something else i needed mm-hmm. a, i needed one or two just little just tie these little story points up and i would have felt completely satisfied um but i could see that changing upon a rewatch so it's a it's a it's a little hiccup for now but it may not be in the future so uh we can get into that kind of stuff in spoilers but i'm going to give this four and a half ticket stubs out of five josh yeah what did you think uh, of I'm, us i'm right there along with you like in, in, in the in the in the region of like expanded and heightened horror in a lot of ways jordan peele and i know people have been like yelling at this on twitter all weekend like he's not any of these other directors i'm like but he he is he is take he is becoming something better than them and we're going to call jordan peele his own thing eventually but this is like us as a dark spielbergian like adventure that takes horror and it's uh, it's, uh, but it's it's unsettling it entertains like you said it is way funnier Mm -hmm. than get out was yeah and get out had some like basically explicit comedy lines mm-hmm. in it but yeah, i mean Lil Ral howry like broke out because if he's just like the comedic side character right you know the tsa no yeah. like, everything <laughs> like that and but like and then he adds like all of these layers that are thought-provoking in the end and you don't even have but he he does it subtly and ways that i don't fully understand yet mm-hmm. at all but at the same time i do understand i just don't know if i could like extrapolate out <laughs> on them right. just yet all in those subtle ways and then it never feels like a diversion. It never feels like you're being, I don't want to say preached to, but he's being heavy handed. He's never being heavy handed with the metaphors or the ideas or the motifs that yeah. he's stacking up on top. Um, as we, you know, um, are propelled to the ending, which we all should have seen coming but yet. I didn't see coming at yeah. all. Like I didn't even cross my mind because of how things are and that's where like all the thoughts go you said it right at the top lapina nyong'o um as her alternate character red is is a fascinating uh you know back and forth mm-hmm. from the from every every move she makes is so specific to that you know dark red adorned character i think red's her name yes at least in the, yeah in the casting yeah. red red is 
the the tethered character and then the regular mm-hmm. version is Adelaide. Yeah. The the light and dark personas going back and forth are jarring. It's easy to forget that they're the same person, like the, the physically the same person, mm-hmm. Lupita. Um her first starring role which is I think ridiculous to even yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, yes, and like Queen of Cotway, she's not it's hard to say she's the star of that. She's not but, like she's just like, "Hey, I'm here." But yeah, she has a pretty big role power. in that. Yeah. yeah. And so I totally agree. Winston, uh, yeah, it, 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 the movie lives on these two characters. Mm-hmm. Um because Winston Duke, you're expecting this tough guy and this next time around you're getting like, oh, I just want to hug him. He's he yeah. is he his charisma like is just all over the place in this movie. Um, and the way he does the back and forth with both of those kids. Um, you mentioned Joseph, like she's terrific in this. Mm-hmm. She's the young Nala, yes, right. So she's gonna have like a year, yeah, for herself. Um, and so like they absolutely crush it. But then like all through this movie, you you are both watching grisly murders and intrigue and yet you're constantly thinking and searching for meaning behind all of these things and it takes you all the way up until the end it's it's satisfying enough but like you said and then it makes you still ask some like a ton of questions Mm -hmm. especially in the end so with all that said i'm here to give it five out of five i don't know if it's better than get out i think they're this but but I enjoyed this one so much more start to finish. Okay. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's my, f- my favorite film of the year so far. Mm-hmm. I can't go as far as to say that I currently, after one viewing, like it more than get out. Cause I've seen get out, I don't know, five times probably. Sure. Um, and I think just, there's so many aspects of the movie that work, uh, on so many different levels. Whereas this one, I still need to figure out all those levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll, I think it could, Take that, yeah. Take that, get, pick up. When I first saw Get Out, I, mean, I didn't see Get to, I didn't see Get Out in the theaters, so that maybe that's like, but what's hurting it? But when uh-huh. I when I watched Get Out, everything was so crystal clear, of like, ah, oh, see, everything was going on here, mm-hmm. like on the first way through. Maybe because it'd been memed a thousand times <laughs> before I'd seen it, and here, like, I don't know, I'm kind of still like basking and reveling in the intrigue and the web of uh, theories and opinions uh-huh. and you know, um, conjecture that's being tossed out there by it. So maybe that's part of the fun as well. But yeah, just oh, fantastic all the way through. Yeah. I mean, um, Dual Mateen the second had a fun little yeah. beginning. He's actually, oh, he's in the, he bookends the movie. Yes. Him and Anna die up. Um, and so that was like really fun too. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I thought they were going to be a part of the whole film. Yeah, I know. Not the case, but still their yeah. cameos i guess yeah i was, was i was a little great. bummed by how little they were in it but i mean it that was more just like they were announced so early on in the casting i was like oh like it, it's just funny to think back of like when all this stuff was when the movie's developing this ha- development's happening and we're like all right so we got winston duke lupiniago and then tim heidecker and elizabeth moss and like they're gonna be like the villains going against them and then like uh yeah, yeah, Dumatine and Anna Diop are like they're, they're best friends. And it's like we are we're totally off base. I mean, like, and right. I think a lot of that is uh, people just assuming that after the success of Get Out with the racial elements to it, that Jordan Peele is going to do the same thing here with a racially um, charged thriller horror movie. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Yeah, the movie stars a black family, but it's not as the movie's not about race as much as it is a lot of other things, uh, which I think is really fascinating and a great way for Peele to take a turn when everybody's like, all right, I'm ready to see the next Jordan Peele movie. That's mm-hmm. going to be this, this, and this. It's like, I mean, there's some elements to it that you're going to be like, oh, okay, 
there's like a similar structure or, um, you know, pacing to it that, to get out. But, uh, what the movies have to say are completely different uh, monsters. So I really enjoy that. And just to go back to uh, scene in the theater, I think it's, it's weird because get out was a totally different theater going experience than us was us mm-hmm. was a, a tense thriller. Well, get out. I remember seeing opening weekend and the crowd by the end is just like full, like fully engaged, like, don't do like don't do this don't like they're yeah. like they're then like they're cheering and because like, it has those moments whereas us does not have those get out lets you in on what's happening a lot sooner than us does yeah even if you don't fully know like mm-hmm. especially like me like i had like all of these like things going on i'm like oh it's it's i don't actually get what's going on <laughs> here and you know all of those things um you at least from like having conversations about it it's like okay like it signals to cer- certain people that yes, this is what's going to happen. And to others, like it shocked them and like turned them around this way. Mm-hmm. Us has none of that. No. I mean, there's a few times where you looking back, knowing what I know now, there's some signals to it mm-hmm. for it, but not in like the heavy handed way that get out does. No. And I mean, we'll, we'll move into spoilers here really in just a couple seconds, but I do also want to mention that um, I know it's like impossible not to compare to get out to us because like it's Jordan Peele it's the saw it's the it's the first film versus second film but I also mm-hmm. just like like th- they don't need to be pitted up against each other because they're not the same they're not the, they're not the same movie they're not the same genres like they don't deal the same subject matters um and so I, I really appreciate that part about us even if the conversation afterwards has largely been how, how does it stack up to get out is it going to, is it going to be an Oscar winner? Is it going to get nominations? Is it going to do this? Is it going to be as big of a success? And it looks like it's going to be probably a bigger success at the box office. Cause it's opening to $70 million here domestically, which is fantastic. Um, but that said, let's move into spoilers here so we can get into all the craziness that ensues. So if you have not seen us turn away now, jump ahead to the, to the news and you know stay along for that part or just pause the episode, go see us and then come back for the rest of the episode. But spoilers, do you want to start at the beginning or start at the end? <laughs> I don't know where you, I think you start at the beginning. I think you start at the end because I think that's where like the me- the movie's ideas crystallize. Yeah. Where we get the big reveal that, uh, about the beginning of the movie, we see that, uh, Adeline, um, uh, has wandered into this house of mirrors during a, a carnival, mm-hmm. um, while she's on vacation with her parents and gets lost in there. And while she's in there, she sees, a version uh she sees another girl who looks exactly like her Her doppelganger and we are led to believe that she leaves traumatized by the experience but us ends with the reveal that she's not traumatized that the doppelganger version of her named red uh chokes her out takes her down to the tethered location and chains her up steals her identity and then goes into the real world yeah so slowly slowly over the movie i mean if you're listening this far you know what we're talking about Mm -hmm. um we learn about this place where clones, copies of people, I don't know exactly yeah. what's going on there. And that's what I'm still unclear yeah, about. Yeah, it, it is unclear because it's like, and this is one of the other questions I have about it is that we learn, we are, we are told what happens down there mm-hmm. by who we believe to be the tethered version of Adeline. But we find out then at the end that it's actually the real Adeline who is telling Red and her family uh, what is like what happened and how the tethered are made. And so my question is, can we, like, is that even true? Like, 
there's no way of knowing that that's actually like that scientists were trying to, um, you know, make copies of every person on the earth so that they, they could control them from below because that's not like she wouldn't know about that because nobody else down there could talk. So they wouldn't be able to communicate or understand what has happened before if the program had already been shut down by that point. Mm-hmm. So like, do you, do you believe that that's actually like what happened, that it's a scientific experiment or is it something yeah. completely different? I think you let, I took that at face value that it's like, she's not an unreliable narrator. She really has no reason to lie. What point, like, why would she be able to lie? She's right. been down there longer than that kid has mm-hmm. been, or rather than the doppelganger version. Yes. Um, have been down there. So she grew up, learned it all and like moved forward with it. Cause I'm sure that kid forgot or whatever like and, and that's kind of like the parts of the movie that get blurry for me um in a, in a lot of respects but i yeah absolutely they're they were trying to control people and that's why like up at the, at the top of the movie when she gives her kid the look of like the government trying to control people maybe but not with fluoride right. in the water because <laughs> they're discussing like those conspiracy theories and things like that but she how, how, do we want to call them by what they're called in the movies so we called the real version of adeline red and we called the doppelganger adeline because that's how we're perceived them to be the whole movie that's just for the yes absolutely okay so adeline we find out like not only is she the one that like that she is the doppelganger version but that like the movie plays out where she doesn't remember any of this until after everything has transpired Mm -hmm. where she's basically erased it from her memory through therapeutic reasons or through dance or just forgetting about them over time. Um, and has come up with this own alternate, uh, story or just as a, a really elaborate, like lie to try to no, honey, I don't want to, I don't want to go to this beach because I'm like, I know what's happening here. Um, and so like, I, I just, I don't know. I just don't know if, uh, I lost my point. <laughs> sure. No, I think, are you, are you wondering if, well, like, and this come, come, comes to the point of my story here, or at least like the point of the movie that I can't quite figure out. What does all of it mean that the, the doppelganger was able to switch places with Adeline mm-hmm. and then go on to become exactly who we expect Adeline to be. Yeah. In every sense of the way. And, the real Adeline is then sent down this dark path who eventually hatches a scheme to participate, basically murder everyone in the United States mm-hmm. and then create the hands across America that would ultimately failed. And so what's the point there? And I, for the life of me, can't figure it out other than like some kind of like nature versus nurture, like thing of it. Like, Oh, if, only they'd been able to like have all those opportunities. They right. would have been this person. Like that's as far as I could get with it. Yeah. I think that's what I've in just trying to figure it out myself and reading up on it. That's what I've heard as the, the larger thing is like, it's um, about opportunity and class in some instances, but also mm-hmm. um, I think the, the, the thing I find most interesting about this is that the, the twist of the ending uh, really shows that like, it flips the whole story on its head where now red isn't this just like psychotic, uh, character. She's almost, a a sympathetic tortured soul where like, she's just trying to regain what is hers. Right. Whereas Adeline as 
stolen somebody else's life basically and lived it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I don't know if that's Peel's way of trying to say like, no matter what is happening, it's important to always look at the other side of a situation. Yeah. Um, which is, it's possible. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's kind of what I thought about at first. Right. Um, but I, but I still don't think it's like abundantly clear though. Like, For sure. And I think there's so many different explanations and th- like, readings of how the movies ended. Like I've listened to several podcasts, read a bunch of different posts about interpretations of the ending. And there's so many different ones. And I don't think any of them are inherently wrong, but I also don't think any of them are inherently, this is the definitive version. Mm -hmm. I mean, there may be one overarching thing that Peel is trying to get across here. um, But I don't think it, it, like it's definitely not as clear as what he is going for with get out. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And like, so like, yeah, I like, I thought of like Russia, like the Russian oligarch overthrow type of a thing mm-hmm. with like the proletariat, like mass murdering the, I don't forget whatever Anastasia's Russian family was or whatever mm-hmm. the case is that, that Cesar sort of like, that was like the idea there. Like they're just trying to like rise up and replace, but yeah, everywhere else, like, yeah, like you said, class seems to be the thing it goes after, but I have no idea, honestly. Um, those ideas of like your the dark side of you and family is also something that I think it could be mined um, for eternity, especially, you know, like, yeah, I know, because it seemed like Red got like the worst version of everything that uh, Adeline was getting mm-hmm. above. Well, see, and the, the other thing that I'm not sure about um, is the relationship between the tethered and the people up top. It was her destiny... Fate, their, their destinies were intertwined in, in a way. Well, I mean, we see the people. Well, so when we see the tethered location at the end in the tunnels, there's nobody else down there besides Red and Adeline. But mm-hmm. when we see the memories of Adeline being down there, uh, we see the tethered version of people just doing the same actions of this of their people up top. Mm-hmm. So we see people like acting like they're on a roller coaster, but really they're standing in a room or we see people acting like they're going on a spinning ride at, at the uh, carnival, but they're really just running around a room in circles and they have no idea that there's anything different about it. Yeah. And so there's this understanding that there's a connection between that they are the tethered people are the shadows of the real people up top yeah. um, and that they control their actions in some ways. But then why, like, how does, uh, like red slash Adeline break that bond? And then at what point, like, do that, does that bond break for everybody? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm not sure about. And I don't know. I, the movie obviously doesn't have a, a clear answer about that. It doesn't answer it really at all. It's more of just an ambiguous thing of, well, at one point during the dance recital, you know, uh, what we know as red is doing a dance and that's how the tether people notice that there's something different about her. And then she becomes like the, the leader of the whole group. Um, but it still isn't clear of, well, why, why is that act? What breaks this, this bond yeah. between everybody? She's brought agency. She brought like the, like what I kind of, like, a conversation I had afterward was like, like she brought agency to that, area where they believe there was none or vice versa. And so, yeah. And like it, the, the, the crazy thing is who was controlling who the movie may lead you to believe um, when uh, Jason, the little boy um, played by Alan, terrifically by um, Evan Alex, mm-hmm. you know, he walks, but he realizes that 
the light kind of like, or not the light, but he realizes in the closet that his shadow is mimicking everything he's doing. Yes. And so to get him to like, you know, you know, cease fire on setting their car aflame. He walks back until the little boy disappears into, um, so he becomes engulfed by flames. Yeah. yeah. The wreckage of the, their car Mm -hmm. or their old vehicle or whatever the case is. Um, so I forgot the point I'm making about this, but it, who controls who? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either because of that flip. That's what I I feel like at some point there is that, that controlled aspect of the the relationship between the tethered and real person mm-hmm. is cut off, which is maybe a symbolism for the scissors that they have broken free of their controllers. They're, yeah, um, they're literally going to cut the cord. Right. Which I could, I could see that being the way since you mentioned uh, Evan Alex um, as the kid, I quickly want to make mention and get your brief thoughts on uh, a theory that I heard per, uh, pertaining to Jason slash Pluto uh, that, and I don't totally buy it because I don't know how this would happen, but I heard a theory that Pluto and Jason have also been switched. In the closet. At No, before. So that the reason why uh, who we see as Jason can't do the magic trick is because he doesn't understand how to do it. And that and that the reason why Pluto's face is all burnt up is because he actually could do it in the in the in the tunnels so that's why his face is you know completely burned and on fire and everything uh is because he could actually pull that off and that he has that relationship a very close relationship with his mother they have the they hold hands as one of their symbols of Mm -hmm. like let's calm down let's be together and that's obviously a very prominent thing with the tethered people of hold the hands of america um and also there's that strange look that he gives her at the end of the movie so I, I don't I think I think there's probably some holes in this, um, but I do think it's because uh, I don't know when it would have happened because it seems like they've never gone back to that location before. Right. And obviously there's other tunnels yeah. throughout America where it could have happened. But I, I, I think that's a fascinating possibility. I definitely don't buy that because it would it would lead us to believe that this took place before the movies began. Yes. And there's no indication that that happens. I think that's a skeptical look of him realizing that his mom does not belong above or didn't at one time belong right. above. And he was, his look at her is just sort of like, well, you can do, and he, we've, he's, he watches her throughout this movie commit murders. And, right. And the, the, but and the reason I like, I don't subscribe too much significance to this is because they're all killing people yes. and, and they're, they're, I, they're arguing about who's killed more people. That was like what, that, that, like that brought me back to like Lord of the Rings uh, of like, I've killed, I've killed these my people. No, I've killed this right. man, and like, it, but it was just so funny in the moment to mm-hmm. like, like you guys should have much more urgency at this moment and to trauma. get away. Yeah. Uh, but you're like, no, I'm, I'm driving because I've killed the most. Like, <laughs> actually, I've killed these many. It's like I'm driving. It's like we've all killed one. Yeah. All right, we're gonna get going now, and yeah, so that, that is, it is absolutely hilarious. But like, I think he's realizing that she's much more maniacal than all mm-hmm. of them. Like a, ba- like a, it's almost like a, like a baser like level like it, it was easier for her to just smack down all those people for some reason right and so he's skeptical of that and then as he's watched his mom just you know kill another lady mm-hmm. and kind of like in a really i don't say primal way yeah but really visceral mm-hmm. and then sort of like starts to go crazy herself because I, that's what i thought had happened when lapita finally chokes out red yeah. or um, adeline chokes out red mm-hmm. at the end of the film 
And so he's looking at her like, okay, you are definitely not like a person, but you're also my mom. So right. you are a person. And he's just, it's, it's, it's a skepticism mm-hmm. um, that he's looking at her with. Yes. I mean, the, the obvious, what you just mentioned there of the snapping of uh, Red's neck and Adeline's kind of response to that where she's just like chomping her her teeth, making these weird these weird noises, um, and that then she rescues uh, uh, Jason, takes them out, and they drive away, and that's where she kind of starts having these flashes of memory of what really happened, and that's where we're clued into what actually happened all those years ago. Um, but did you have any? I know you've mentioned that like you really had no like idea that that this kind of a twist was coming where Adeline and Red had switched places like you didn't suspect it at all at I, any point in the movie I did not suspect it at all because um, because she was so willing to because she's like you said like she had either blocked it out or she was engaging with it and made it believe that like she was the victim in all of this mm-hmm. well I mean she, she that's how she views it like well she's yeah. been following She's been like just doing these other persons. She's been living her life's been controlled by somebody else the whole time. And so now she sees the opportunity to break free of that. And that's why she thinks, well, she's been the victim for all these years. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though she's the one who then yeah. abandoned somebody else and took their life. Right. And the, the this is where like the, the big question mark in the movie comes above her. Like, where's the ambiguity there? Like there, there there's there's ambiguity there. I finished the movie thinking I don't know who like I felt I feel bad for at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like, you're the real Adeline now. I mean, you're right. the one who grew up, had all these memories and whatever the case is like the, the, the person who was once controlling your actions, you knocked down and you got to go live your own life. Mm-hmm. And she was upset about being on the other end of it. I was like, Oh man, I, I really have no idea. But then her doing that brought about this entire catastrophe across the United States. Yes. But then, so you're like, okay, so was she justified in, you know, all these homicides? Right. <laughs> oh, beats me. And so like, yeah, it, and, it, and the whole film has just engages with conspiracy mm-hmm. in a way that like kind of surprised me. I'm like, I don't think Jordan Peele's a massive conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but it plays with that idea that choices are predetermined. They're not your own, that there is a, um, there's a layer over our reality in a lot of ways where there's an illusion of choice and decision-making and you, we can't really break free from it all the time mm-hmm. or maybe we may not be able to or whatever um, the case actually is. Like it's like a Sims level living in a simulation controlled by someone um, serenity level, like computer <laughs> game. Much better than Serenity. <laughs> Much better than Serenity, of course. And like those are the ideas that starts, you know, tapping on in all, all sorts of ways. And so that's where I think a lot of the conversations is going to keep coming out of mm-hmm. uh, going forward. But I also think that like the twist obviously changes. Like the next time like either of us watch us, mm-hmm. it's going to be through a completely different lens because now we know that like Adeline had this track, like had this previous like backstory but then also we we're gonna look at reddit with a completely different light of well she's like doing this because she feels like her life was stolen from her and she's like you know she says like we're americans like she has that that uh, that like strange voice and she's the only that can talk because she was strangled by the, the the previous version of red as a child and like there's so many like 
fascinating like little details I think we'll be able to pick up on um, the more we watch it. I did for a second um, think that a, that the switch had happened mm-hmm. um, when uh, Umbre, the tethered version of Zora, is like jumping on the car and then she's flung into the trees and dies um, because uh, we see Adeline go out to like finish her off. And she sees her up in the, up there in the tree, just slowly dying. And she just has this like she just looks at her, she just looks at her with like compassion almost, or like this like strange like I end like, yeah. Th- there wasn't like that sinister like oh I'm gonna kill you because like you're trying to kill my family. It was like an almost like this understanding of, like, I know what you're doing. You want what I have too, right? And you can't do it. You not to my family, right? And but that was the so I was like oh it's like okay hmm. like was there, and then i started thinking was there any moment where like they were in the same room and they were the only people there and then maybe they could have switched places in this moment mm-hmm. but i didn't suspect that it was going to be a they've been switched for the last 23 years or whatever yeah um uh, but that said that reading of that scene doesn't really work if if adeline has blocked those memories from herself until the very end of the movie yeah i don't believe that she didn't know the entire way. So you think that... I think she was conscious of everything happening, and that's why she was so worried about going back was because that, wherever she'd left that kid, wherever she'd left the real Adeline, the first Adeline, the original, would, you know, rise up from the the lower levels and Mm -hmm. come get her. Yeah, no, I mean, because also she knew exactly where to go in the end of the film, and something that didn't cross my mind until we got out of the theater was that, oh, snap, she... As soon as she knew her son was missing, she bolted for that magic forest, ran all the way down to those lower sublevels, got on that escalator, and knew right where to find Red. Yeah. And I was like, how, yeah, how did she know exactly yeah, that's true. all of that? She's just like, I know how to get there, and yep. then bolted for it. And it didn't it didn't stop to think for a second, like, wait, how does she know all of this? She's been right. there before. So, so before. that's why when you know Winston Duke initially tells her, hey, we're going to this beach, she's like, no, we're not going there because we're led to believe that it's more of like a, no, like I have PTSD from this tragic event as a child. And that's how she kind of plays it off when she's telling this to Gabe. But what we actually then believe is happening is she's just making up this elaborate lie to try to protect her life that she has stolen basically. So um, on that note, I think there's Jeremiah eleven eleven is a prominent thing that happens throughout this movie. Um, I will quickly read what it says um, because it's it's a it's a big topic and it's a big you know question mark that you have through it because eleven eleven keeps popping up. It's carved into the tethered version of the dude underground. He's wearing the sign. He's the first guy who dies during this overtaking. Um, and Jeremiah eleven eleven reads: Therefore, thus saith, saith, thus saith the Lord: Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Which I think raises several other questions: of, mm-hmm. Is this uh, religious in any way from for Peel? Um, what he's going for in terms of themes here, I don't know. Uh, it's something that I think we still need to dig into. But I think just for the sake of time, like we're running out of it for this conversation. Uh, But I did, I did want to mention and, you know, read that verse just in case you've seen the movie and haven't looked at it, look that up for yourself. Um, And lastly here, uh, or mostly lastly, unless you have any final thoughts, I I want to throw some fun, like logistical questions that have been raised from the whole plot of this movie. Mm -hmm. 
Um, what happens to the tethered people when people move across country? I'm assuming they just travel through the the ever expansive tunnel system across America. Yes. But what happens when they leave the country? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe that's how you break it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's one of those things that's like, I have no idea. It doesn't matter, but it's like a, a funny thing of like, I don't understand. And then the same thing goes like where they get suits, where they get the scissors. Like mm. those are very uh, specific looks that they're going for. And it's like, I have no idea either. Like maybe it's just a mass supply of the people who used to live or used to work in the tunnels. That was their uniform, mm-hmm. um, which maybe could add more symbolism to that. They're wearing these uniforms that were worn by people who took them and made them and kept them down there in the first place. And now using them as a symbol of, freedom uh i think there's maybe a reading you get in there and then the scissors like i have no explanation they're mock they're wearing the jumpsuits to look like the stars and the hands across the people from the commercial of hands across america yes yeah but But, it's like why like where they get millions upon millions of red suits and the scissors i mean we have no idea but it's just like it's just one of those things like i don't care sharperimage.com right like if you're if you're digging into those details it's like i mean come on like there are those kind of like well, I don't know how that works in mm-hmm. every movie out there, so it doesn't hurt us in any ways. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention here? There are no specific things um, that I'm really want to tie on to, other than NWA appearing oh my um, gosh. and getting like the entire like Alexa. Um, that was so good. You know, conversation like thing going around with it, like call the police. I think is what um, uh, Elizabeth Moss character shouts when she's being murdered by her own doppelganger. Right, which, which that entire scene came out of nowhere yeah. for me. I think that's probably the creep. That's like the most horror the movie gets. I think, and it's so, it's so, it's silent and so direct. Mm-hmm. Where all at once, four people emerge into the house and each kill their own person. Yeah. And blood just goes, and then it instantly makes you like ask, "Wait, what is happening?" Because mm-hmm. we thought this was just uh, this just pertains to the Wilson family, and now it's no. Like, wait, is this because they know the Wilsons? Is it because they live in Santa Cruz? And then, fifteen twenty minutes later, it's revealed. No, this is a complete countrywide, you know, yeah. catastrophe that's happening. But like, as NWA is playing throughout this, and they come to their friend's house they pop the door open just as ice cube is rapping it's gonna be a bloodbath yeah <laughs> as they see and start walking over their friend's corpses and start just like you know murdering their own doppelgangers it was just one of the most i think it was the whole most hilarious moment for me other than winston duke being like oh we get their car now he yeah. like he like purchases lips oh, like man oh this we're working out pretty we, good <laughs> yeah i feel we didn't praise winston duke enough because he is just so good in this movie his uh attempt at seducing lupita mm-hmm. is it's just so hysterical. He's like, where are you trying to go? <laughs> She's just like, nowhere, home. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> What's oh, happening? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, my theater uh, lost it as he did that. Yeah. And they lost it everything he did. And I'm, so, I'm just so happy that he is terrific in this because he'll now get all sorts of roles coming his right. way. Like when, like, like when the family initially shows up, the doppelgangers, and he's like, he tries to go outside and be like, all right, guys, go away or I'm going to call the cops. And they don't leave. And they're like, all right, now I'm, now I'm kind of freaked out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they go outside. He's like, all right, guys. He like lowers his voice. And <laughs> right. it's like, what? It's like why? Uh, it's just, it's um, just, he's just so good. Someone, movie. I think Peel himself described him as like Homer Simpson. Um, <laughs> And like the run up and initial marketing to it. And I thought that was, this is all I could think about the entire way through. That's hilarious. Good natured, but just a little bit dumb in a lot of yeah. ways. But like, he's not, he's not like 
too dumb. Like he's he, like he doesn't do anything that's like you idiot. Like you just like cost the family. Right. Exactly. So uh, he, he was he, he was perfect. Yeah. He was just a really nice like we needed that levity in the film. Otherwise, we would have just been like completely overshadowed by just the the gloom <laughs> and the everything that's happening else. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but lastly, we have to end it with I think a pretty obvious answer. Will Josh ever watch this again? Yeah. Absolutely. I'll and pro- I'll, probably pretty soon. I'll probably see it in the theater before the end of its run. Yeah. Uh, same here. So we both loved us. I give it four and a half ticket stubs out of five. Josh, we give it five ticket stubs out of five. Uh, both of our favorite movies of the year so far, yes? Yes, absolutely. So uh, on that note, we'll be right back in a bit with the news. back with the news and let's start with our three main topics this week kicking off with an update an exciting update on the christopher nolan movie uh we have a bunch of casting news to get through here uh even though there's not really any plot details that come along with these uh exciting additions but we do know now uh courtesy of variety that john david washington and elizabeth debicki will star in nolan's next movie with collider then adding that robert pattinson has also boarded the movie these are three Really talented, really on-the-rise actors. Josh, uh, what does this do for your uh, interest in the next Christopher Nolan movie? I mean, it only kicks it up. It only kicks it up. Um, You and I had had a conversation like a month ago after I'd seen Widows for the first time. Yes. um, Noting that Debicki was going to be somebody huge eventually. I mean, she was already been like flirting with it for a long time now. Right. And looks like a starring role in Nolan's next movie is only going to like you know push that right to the forefront, uh, for so 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 many reasons. Um, and finally here, like, and it makes total sense though that she would get picked. Widows is basically the Dark Knight without Batman in so many ways, in so many ways. Um, just just in terms of how, you know, I mean, Steve McQueen just crafted a a movie that runs until it hits its ending point mm-hmm. and does not skip a, bo- a beat. Dark Knight does the same thing here. Um, and yeah, so like, I don't know if it's just because of that same kind of language and she does so well with it. Right. But I am exciting to have, it's exciting to see Debicki and I could be in a starring role here. Um, but mostly excited about John David Washington. Because yes. It's been, it's been, he has not been cast in anything since Black Klansman yet, right? That's correct. And it is so good to see that he is, gonna get you know uh the attention appreciation that the oscars and award season did not give him mm-hmm. well he'll be yeah he'll be the lead and for what will many be the most anticipated movie of 2020 yeah alan and Patton said good for him good time has done him so many favors i haven't seen it yet but that's his movie where people are like oh yeah great mm-hmm. <laughs> oh you can do more than twilight which i mean mm-hmm. is, to to be fair he's been proving that for the last several years um even in small movies like um was he in Lost City of Z? Or what's, what was the one that he was in where it was like a, an adventure movie? I feel like it was Lost City of Z, but I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the the casting here is just super exciting because, I mean, I know obviously the case with Dunkirk was Nolan going with basically unknown leads, like 
Fionn Whitehead hasn't really done anything before. Harry mm-hmm. Styles never acted before in anything um, like on that caliber. And then, then you still have his regular group of people filling out the supporting roles. Um, but I like that he's going kind of the unknown route to a certain extent. It's like, oh, like if, if I ask nine people or if I ask 10 people on the street who John David Washington is, they'll probably be like, I, I don't know. Like maybe there's one or two that are like, oh, yeah, he was the guy in uh, Black Klansman, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes. Or they'll be like, is he like Denzel's son or something? I'm like, well, yeah, but that's not the point of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. <laughs> like I'm just super happy that he is going to get this career jump by being in the next Nolan movie. And then Debicki as well. Super exciting for her because she was uh, as one of the standouts of Widows, but she's also really good in the Night of, the limited series that was uh, with her and Hugh Laurie and Tom Hiddleston. Uh, that was a, a really great showing by her. And then she's a really good villain in Man from Uncle, too. Um, so she's just been like really expanding her filmography the last couple of years. And now to see it rewarded with the female lead uh, in an Olin movie, super exciting. And then, yeah, Robert Pattinson. Never seen a Twilight movie, so I've never had that. St- Stink of those overshadowing my perception of Rob Pattinson and in any way that I can really uh, like feel confident about other mm-hmm. than like people just I've heard the rhetoric of Twilight sucks the actors in it suck and that was like the belief for many years but now Kristen Stewart's showing that that's not the case and now Rob Pattinson continued to um, develop his own career as well so uh, super exciting and if these are the three beginning points than the next mm-hmm. round of casting I'm really excited about too. They're all yeah, they're they're a they're a they're a quartet? No. A trio. A trio. Thank you. Why could I not <laughs> find that word? I was gonna say triple, but that wasn't they're, right they're, either. They're, they're triplets? No. Yeah. Yeah. They are a trio of like the favorite our favorite people right now. Yes. Um and you know, I, I really hope it leads to something bigger for John David Washington mm. because he's so so good in Black Klansman. Um, that I'm surprised no one's grabbed him for like lead comedy roles, right? Like right out of that. But maybe his, you know, his career path he wants to be stay, you know, yeah, in like want this to go more drama mm-hmm. action type thing to kind of like follow in his dad's footsteps. Maybe not. But then you'd think you maybe want to break free, so you're not just in your dad's shadow all the time. But then again, Denzel's never worked with Nolan, so you don't say there. no to Nolan. I don't think <laughs> leg up there. Uh, we did also have this description, a, a brief description. Um, of it was described as quote a massive innovative action blockbuster which i don't know if that totally debunks the those previous rumors of what the plot could potentially be about that we discussed several weeks ago um but if this means we're getting like a straight up nolan action movie uh in the vein of how edgar wright just completely took on the heist action genre with baby driver like yes that is what i've been wanting um and I can't wait to see what it, yeah, how it plays out. Yeah, you really, that word innovative, which is thrown around liberally a lot, mm-hmm. but when you throw it around with Nolan, that is promising something big, especially yeah. in light of Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and Inception, and I mean, he's and, got all and, these. Inter- Interstellar and Dunkirk specifically, just because they use techniques. Dunkirk was... Go big, go real. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie before that, Interstellar, was all practical. We can do this just well, like Kubrick did. I mean, not all practical. You, don't, you can't have practical. buildings falling on top of each other. But <laughs> yeah, well, Interstellar. Or sorry, uh, I was thinking, I was Inception. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, Inception was what it was. Yes. Um, that was just more. Was there any techniques used in that? I or? mean, they, there's the famous like they, they created that halt that spinning hallway for the Joseph Gordon-Levitt shot, That's which right. is. I think that's what we're 
getting at more. Like, I don't, I mean, th- th- there'll probably be the traditional Nolan um, surprises in the narrative, but I think in terms of innovation, it'll be more of like a, it's the whole thing's IMAX, uh, shot in IMAX, or um, like we're going to be really innovative in our set designs and what we can actually pull off practically. I think that's what we're talking about probably more. Yeah, I would be interested to see how that plays out because in, in, in the era of, in an era of Avatar and John Wick and I don't know who else is crushing the action game right now, just use the word action blockbuster, um, it, you got to be promising something big. Yeah. Especially in Marvel films as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be promising something big. So whatever he has up his sleeve, uh, you know, we'll see. Do but you, do you hope- not, not doubting him, but just right. like this, if you're going to throw that word around in your story or whoever is like describing this plot, let's hold our horses until we see what he's got. Do you want to see them like hold the plot under wraps all the way up to like the first trailer? Or do you want to like get something of like, here's just a general like, one sentence synopsis of like it's uh, about a guy trying to rob a bank like if it's like even if it's that simple and clean that's what we know it's like okay great now i have a basis understanding or do you want to go in just like no just like keep me in the dark we're gonna yeah i mean we're gonna get someone's gonna leak the plot eventually when the script starts getting passed around and everything like that so the synopsis will get out there but or at least a you know, a flyby version right. of it. But, but there's um, been so many like contradictory, oh, this is what it is. No, this is what it is. It was like, oh, it's North by Northwest meets uh, some other movies. Yes. There's been rumors that it's an Inception sequel, which I would, that, that would be wild. Um, but it's like, there's just all of these different like possible stories that this movie is telling that like, we don't know what it is. And so uh, if they can keep it up until a trailer, like, I don't know if I'll like that because I've mentioned before Nolan's first trailers are always just so vague uh, that like I'm not gonna be able to pull any details from it to begin with. So I would I would appreciate some sort of plot description beforehand. Yeah. Do we even know if Jonathan um, collaborated with him on this again, or is nope. he, r- he writing solo again? I would assume he's writing. I would assume Jonathan's just completely in on Westworld at this point. But. Yeah, that's true. Uh, let's move on to the Star Wars galaxy far far away as we got a report from star wars newsnet this past week uh that the first film in the benioff and wise trilogy will begin filming this fall and they revealed some potential uh plot slash story details um about where the movie will take place in the larger uh star wars universe uh according to their source uh which they say is 95 percent accurate on uh what they've told them in the past and has worked on every star wars movie under the Disney Lucasfilm uh, collaboration. Uh, according to that source, the series will be uh, set a hundred or hundreds of years before the Skywalker saga. So we're going way back before the prequels, way back before the original trilogy, way back before what we are currently seeing right now. Does this? Do you believe this report? And if it, if you do, is this like confirmation that like, like yeah, we're getting an old Republic style? Uh, franchise from the game of thrones creators yeah i mean it jives with what bob Iger once said they're focused on a point in time um like very specifically like you don't just say time when like you're talking about the what we call the star wars timeline and continuity right at least right now and like in film anyway where all of those movies have been located around that same 60 year 100 year timeline time frame 60 year yeah 60, 20, uh, yeah, 80, 100 year time frame there. 
And so when you say a point in time, that means somewhere that's not there. I think you can infer at least, or it could be like it all happens within the span of a week and you got a three movie trilogy that way, which is crazy. <laughs> and I don't think how they would want to do it. But if that, yeah, I mean, I get the, 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 I went on Star Wars Newsnet for like the first time ever to read this and I kind of understood and that made sense, even though I don't believe this, at least at least I haven't been thinking it would be the case, um, that they would want to go ahead and just be like, all right, shut it down. No more Skywalker stuff. Let's go back to the very beginning and just divorce ourselves entirely from that and from those other nine films, mm-hmm. 10 films. Eleven. Wait. With the two. Eleven. If you once we get to nine. Yeah. Yeah. With those other eleven movies, and just be like, all right, whole new continuity, free range of ideas, and nothing to worry about mm-hmm. all the way through. And that sounds like it's like a safe idea that allows for the most creativity and um, fun with ideas. You could be like a longer time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> right. And. I'm sure Benioff and Wise are gonna love putting that together, so I buy it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think that I've for a long time. I think that's just been the common, uh, not assumption, because we we have no reason to really base that. Like, this is the older pub. Like, this is gonna be the older public mm-hmm. Star Wars trilogy outside of. Well, it's the Game of Thrones guys. Why wouldn't you give them this epic mythology and set them thousands of years in the past um so it makes sense in that regard but also as you mentioned it it separates the star wars brand from the last 80 years of storytelling that we've really been focused on with the skywalker saga because now we can break free of that timeline we can go back explore the rise of the sith or the rise of the jedi or uh just what the galaxy was maybe before there were even like the the force even was like known as a thing like if that is even possible. Um, so I would just love to see how Banff and Wise do this. The mm-hmm. only thing, uh, while I believe that that is probably the basis of the story of, of this trilogy, it's starting in the fall. I'm not entirely sure if that's happening because that, that would mean that like we're six months away from cameras rolling. We don't have a director. We don't have any news on uh, I mean, I guess they're writing the script, so it could be done in theory, um, but nobody else is going to give it a pass. We have no news of, like, crew being hired or anything. Um, so I wonder if it's not filming begins in the fall and it's more of, like, prep work starts in the fall and then we film early uh, 2020 or something. I could see that, and that way they could um, give them more time and don't have to announce any new Star Wars movies or, like, say that our new one is filming before 9 comes out so you can close the Skywalker saga and then, and here's the future. After that, I do wonder, though, if this news being out there, if it is indeed legit, could, like, reinforce the possible, like, the chance that this trilogy is, like, officially, like, announced of, like, what it's going to be at Star Wars Celebration in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. We don't, I doubt Banff Wise will be there because Game of Thrones premieres that Sunday. Um but or it's uh, the I don't think it premieres that Sunday or is this premiere that Sunday I don't remember it, it the a new episode of Game of Thrones will be on oh, during Star Wars they have nothing left to do for Game of Thrones they could easily pop into Chicago for or even film one... like a video message of mm-hmm. like during the yeah. Star Wars celebration panel of like and here's the future sort of stuff and they're saying hey we're really great to we're we're super happy to be working in this galaxy uh, by the way our movie is going to be set 
300 years before the episode one mm-hmm. and it's going to be about the older public. I mean, basically all of game of Thrones media and press is just about, I mean, it's going to kick up and then it's going to mm-hmm. end really quickly. They've already done their first initial rollout. So it'd be easy for them to get out. Right. There. But then I'm, but then I'm, I know there's going to be like the, the final wave too, where it's like once the finale ends and the, the series is over, like they're going to be just hit over the head with, well, now here's several other interviews you have to do because so I, so I don't know. I don't have a clear, like, understanding of what they will do or anything um but i will not i will not be surprised if this trilogy is like if these plot deals are confirmed at star celebration in a few i weeks. do think you're at least touching on something that could be the case um, but this is conjecture but this is what we know that star wars and kathleen kennedy and lucasfilm have been desperate to do since they got the rights back to star wars was have a may launch day for their new movies and pre-production and production beginning in earnest in mm-hmm. the fall with principal photography g- kicking off the next year and then an entire year to edit, develop, and do reshoots for a release in 2020 or 2021 May, mm-hmm. I-, I think sounds like the best case or the best idea. Then you yeah. have a whole year of just not of letting the dust settle or right. May. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's possible. I'm, I'm still like, it's tough because the Star Wars like now that the Disney Fox deal is closed, Disney owns the Avatar movies, and those movies are two and three are set for 2021, 2022 in December. So they're obviously not going to compete with their own Correct. other mega franchise. But then if you move it to the end of May, then you're competing with your own franchises again, whether it's Marvel movies or live action uh, adaptations or remakes. Like there's, but that's just the True. problem with Disney's own machine. Of course. Um, we, and everything. It, yeah, that is the case. But also, um, by that point, they'll be able to redirect because Marvel movies don't have hard dates yet. I mean, they, I mean, they, 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 they have, they have dates announced, and I don't see them changing them because they're like this traditional. This is when a Marvel movie comes out from Marvel Studios, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I could, I mean, I don't but it's, see it's territory marking. Yes, in a lot of ways. Yeah, but like I don't see Disney like vacating a first week of May twenty twenty one release date for like Doctor Strange two to move it up to like the end of April or move it back a couple weeks. And then just to like, and that's what they've been doing with Endgame. But, but those the, are, those Avenger are, films. I, th- I think those are completely, you want to give the Avengers movies the the two that have been the most interesting movies for the last five years since they were announced. Mm-hmm. You want to give them the sure. time that like you want and avoid competition. And but you just absorbed an entire studio yeah, that yeah. had been putting films out. So you basically control the board mm-hmm. In every sense of the word, for big action franchises, your, yeah. only, your only competition is Universal and Paramount when they have a Mission Impossible film. So. Right, and I mean three weeks apart or so, three weeks, four weeks apart for between Doctor Strange two and, um, you know, the first Old Republic movie like that. Yeah, that that seems fine. I don't think there's. I think by the most for the most part, uh, especially too because Doctor Strange is a four hundred million dollar film rather than, or four or five hundred million dollar film rather worldwide. Than, I don't know. Yeah, probably. No. I mean, I mean the, fir- the first one made like six fifty or something. So like, and that was in like November worldwide. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, we're talking mid range there, but domestically, but, you're not going to be cannibalizing the market. True. But you also, know, we also have no idea what after. the uh, the interest will be in a in a non Star Wars like Skywalker saga movie, non traditional canon. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So there's there's a lot of questions here. Uh, and yeah, like I said, I hope. 
we get an announcement uh, at Star Celebration in a couple weeks. Uh, let's move on to, we've been talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, this interesting kind of quote that came up from the Russos as they're talking to Empire um, about Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. And they more or less confirmed that, yes, everything that you are seeing in the Endgame marketing is not 100% correct of... Uh, representation of what the movie is actually going to be because they said quote so at our disposal are lots of different shots that aren't in the movie that we can manipulate through cg to tell a story that we want to tell specifically for the purpose of the trailer and not for the film end quote which i think is a really i I mean it's not surprising because they did this with infinity war already marvel's done in the past several times um but for endgame are we cool with you know marvel and disney just being like listen like we're like there's probably a several moments in the trailers that we're aligned to you about maybe the infinity gauntlet isn't really charred maybe they're not wearing those white suits or tony stark's not there in that group shot or whatever the case may be like mm-hmm. are, are we cool with that i'm okay with it um because it's a way you you're get, like they said they're getting across their message mm-hmm. of here's a movie here's some things but at the same time you don't want to, I mean, because you were living in, like, basically, your move, the movie is spoiled before it even comes out in terms of just the exhaustiveness of theories that people pull from trailers and mm-hmm. everything like that. And you get to the point where um, we can go into a movie and be like, okay, so this thread, this guy's hypothesis from over here was like 85% right. I just did not expect Peter Parker to get dusted because right. Spider-Man is just so much fun. And why would you get rid of him? Yeah, they just you know, got him. <laughs> in, a fo- in a film. Yeah, correct. And so, and when you're talking about what they did in the first Avengers film or the Infinity War film, mm-hmm. um, they just, they plucked the Infinity Stones off and then they pushed Hulk out. And ultimately... Well, and they gave the whole group shot of that wasn't even in the movie. Right, yeah. It was like, it was a way to, not I want to say hide, but they can show you the movie without showing us the movie. Uh-huh. And I think a lot of, a lot of times we see that where shots are just like totally thrown away from films. I think The Force Awakens or maybe The Last Jedi, no, not The Last Jedi, but The Force Awakens even had some shots in the trailer. So you're like, Oh, what happened to that shot? Not there. Gone. Rogue One's a huge example Rogue of that. Rogue One is a huge example of that, of course. That's a different circumstance. But that's a different <laughs> circumstance. But did the story change at all from those trailers? No. Did we get to see Jyn so face down in ATST? No. That would have been awesome. Yeah. But we still knew that, like, dire consequences, you get the gist of the film. Move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've, it's marketing. It's it's not really false advertising in any way. I mean, knowing whether Tony Stark is, is or is not there um, doesn't really do that much for us other than just send us in different directions. Rather than saying, oh, oh, he does make it back or, oh, he is here when we think they're in quantum realm suits about to go on this journey where mm-hmm. they very well could like, could not be, <laughs> or right. he could not be there. Even if, yeah. And if it is, if it is true that he somehow like plated or stitched in or they shot that shot, um, just for the sake of the trailer, just for the sake of the trailer to confuse, then that will be wild and crazy Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways. But I think it would be for the better because then it, cause it shuts down talk and just lets people wait for the movie, especially if it becomes commonplace, mm-hmm. because then at, that, at what point you would, it would be pointless that unless you had the script to make conjecture, if you knew that marketing was just going to like, you know, mess with you a little bit. 
to uh you know encourage people like waiting or whatever the case is yeah Not waiting because i mean you're gonna have to wait no matter what no <laughs> one's gonna get the film beforehand but it just keeps the surprises coming mm-hmm. especially with hulk because we were waiting for that moment we're like we've seen hulk in the trailers when's he coming so, and that's where it's like oh when he's like getting uh you know he's he's over flooded by those uh by the outriders and they're on top of him and you're like he's just like struggling and he's on ground like oh this is the moment this is where hulk's gonna burst out of there and it doesn't happen you're like what yeah <laughs> i don't understand what's happening and then he doesn't ha- doesn't happen and it's just like wait what um and that's what i think i'm i'm okay with this for avengers endgame because i think that even if every single shot we've seen in the marketing isn't from the movie it's a fake shot it's manipulated in some ways Tony's not really the only one on the Benatar with Nebula. Like it's him and Nebula and Captain Marvel and Thor or something. It's like, wait, what? what oh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Didn't see that coming. Or it's like, like, I don't know. There's so many different ways that they can change these through CG that are so seamless that like we wouldn't even notice. Um, and I'm okay with that as long as they are, as they mentioned, kind of uh, correctly identifying the tone of the film and a general idea of, I mean, not even the story to a certain extent. Cause like, I love the fact that, end games a month away and like in terms of what we actually know is confirmed from like a synopsis or uh the the marketing we have like no idea what this movie's about yeah Yeah, i mean there's set photos and toys that you can be like all right i think this detail connects to this and like i think that connects to that and you can kind of get a plot that way but otherwise we are going in pretty much blind about this movie and i'm totally okay with that if that means that you know I'm surprised with Endgame because it's a highly anticipated movie. Uh, I don't even need to see a trailer to begin with because I'm already seeing it and I, I want to know as little as possible about the movie overall. Um, but also, like, I'm just... I'm okay with this in certain instances. Like, I don't... Like, like you mentioned, like, well, it, it's fine if, if every... Like, if basically every movie does this because then it will lessen mm-hmm. the amount of, like, analyzing that these trailers go under. Um, and I don't want to see that happen because, like, I don't want, like, the Toy Story 4 trailer to, like, have all these, like, fake shots of, like... Because, like, who cares? Like, nobody's, like going and giving an in-depth look at a Toy Story 4 trailer or, like, the trailer mm-hmm. for, like, um, Lucy in the Sky or Unicorn Store. Like, nobody's, like, looking at those trailers like, all right, I need to pick out every detail to try to figure out. Like, the, the, there are rare instances where movies' marketing is so analyzed. It's right. DC, it's Marvel, and it's Star Wars, basically. I mean, maybe Detective Pikachu and the Pokemon franchise will get there or something, but, like, there's very little... Uh, there's very few movies that actually like demand that get this amount of attention and scrutiny and are overanalyzed uh, to this degree where as long as like this doesn't become common practice for all movies to show me a John Wick three trailer where instead of, you know, firing a couple of machine guns, he's got uh, a, a rocket launcher. And I'm like, what? And then it doesn't have to move. I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sold me on John Wick riding a horse with a rocket launcher. I need to see that shot. Yeah. And if that's not it, like, I don't want to see this become common practice, but like, since this is such a rare, um, I think moment in sort of this franchise, the history of cinema, like I'm cool with end games marketing, like toying with us and giving us like misdirections all the time. Right. And it's, it, yeah. And it's, it's like those things where, there's the small things that matter and don't matter, whatever the case is. Sometimes they're not finished or whatever. Um, and right, it won't be a practice adopted across the board because eventually you'll get to the point where like one trailer doesn't match the movie at all. And you're like, oh, I thought we were coming to see this movie, but it turns out it was actually something completely different. Right. So it's like you can't misrepresent, obviously. I'm right. Sure there's then, some like, law against that. Um, like what was like, it comes at night or something? Like people were like up in arms when that movie came out because it was like, this is not the movie that the marketing showed. And so it's that 
double-edged sword of the marketing where it's like the marketing's job is to, sell, is to make you want to go see the movie. And so if you see the movie, it's successful in that department. But it needs to be successful in a way that properly shows what this movie is going to be. So I, it's, it's a tough task. Right. But I think, yeah, especially here, it's fine. I yeah. mean, you, none of those shots can be used at all. I don't really don't care. But like, because you have a built-in audience, but mm-hmm. you need to also, you know drive people to your film right like when i when i mentioned this i was like oh we should talk about this on the podcast i was like you know like i don't want star wars episode nine's trailer to have shots of palpatine and snoke Mm -hmm. sitting side by side on dual thrones and be like oh my gosh like the the darkness is here like this is going to be insane and then we get to the movie and it's neither snoke or palpatine in the movie it's like you totally misrepresented what this movie's about like i don't i don't need that as long as like they're not showing me that like Red Skull is suiting up with the Avengers or something. Like they're showing us what we think is going to happen. And if it doesn't, then that's on us because we're dumb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it, it should, it should be for very rare circumstances. Yeah. Um, but let's move on to some trailers and decide which one is going to get a ticket this week. Before we do that, okay. though, I'm watching the it follow or it comes at night trailer. People are dumb if they were expecting some big monster in that movie because the trailer never alludes to a monster. But yeah, I mean, that's, it's it, just it, it, a it does. Door. It, yeah, it's, it's I, psychological. Okay, come on. Yeah, calm down. But like, everybody. but there's there's so many different instances of it. Um, but on ticket or skip it on on some trailers that were uh there were some pretty good ones this week. We got our first trailer for Lucy in the Sky, the second trailer for Toy Story Four, the first trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the second trailer for John Wick Chapter Three, the first trailer for Unicorn Store, and the first trailer for Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Josh, which one of these trailers gets your ticket this week? I'm giving it to a different movie, but I just want to say Dora the Explorer looks not bad. It doesn't look terrible. Um, the boot CG not there. No, understandable. Of course. And then we we they gave her the dumb like epic Tomb Raider jump, and I was like, why? <laughs> but I, like I'm I'm like totally digging that shit. Sort of like a um, it's a Mean Girls, but for Dora. In a lot of ways. I mean, I I think Isabel Moner's fantastic, so... Yeah, I'm, but anyway... I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to go check it out opening weekend, but, like, I'll check it out at some point, probably. It just looks... It looks like it's it knows it's a dumb idea, yes. but it's playing with it. Yeah. But anyway, of course, I'm giving it to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Of course. Because this... Lo- I mean, we're seeing so little of this movie, um, and it's so... Um, I don't want to say quirky, but it's, it's so focused on... It's lead, I guess, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt and the actor Stuttman dynamic and just like invoking old Hollywood mm-hmm. um, and not really telling us what's going to happen in the story so far. But everything around this movie looks terrific and I cannot wait to see these characters brought to life at all. Um, but first and foremost, the um, Jet Lee performance by Mike Moe or not Jet Li, Bruce, Bruce Lee, Lee performance yes. by Mike Lowe is looking phenomenal. And it's like the real standout to watch him and Brad Pitt go back and forth together on that back studio lot. Uh, so I think that's going to be like probably the joy, like the highlight for the movie for me, but it's just looking killer all the way through. Yeah. And I just, and I just can't wait to see where, the twist in terms of the story go because I think that's going to be epic. On that note, it's not going to get my ticket this week. I think it's a really good trailer, um, but the 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 Bruce Lee aspect of it, I think he he's in the trailer a lot more than I would than I would have expected. I mean, like five six seconds, but but I think it's 
I got I feel like that's purposeful that mm-hmm. like they're showing a lot of Bruce Lee up front because like they show barely any of like Margot Robbie is Sharon Tate and but then they give you a glimpse of Manson but it has raised this question uh, which I find kind of fascinating of I mean Tarantino's known to uh, do this like this alternate reality of events basically that's what he did with the Glorious Bastards and uh, now here people are wondering if we're getting like this Bruce Lee early on and Bruce Lee was uh you know, a, a friend of Sharon Tate's uh, in real life. He would train her with martial arts and stuff. Uh, is there, are we on the path of Bruce Lee, like killing Charles Manson before he can like kill Sharon Tate and do all these other murders? Is that where we're going with this movie? And if so, are you okay with that? Oh, I'd be so okay with that. I would so let him rewrite history. I feel like that, that sounds Bruce amazing. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you you were, you and I are talking about like Mike Moe too. Like mm-hmm. I've not seen him in anything. Um, but he just seems like a great dude. Yes. And if if his character and Bruce Lee, like if his Bruce Lee character and he like are able to break out with this role and everything like that, that'd be terrific. And yeah, like I mean, he killed Hitler. So right. I mean, Tarantino did <laughs> yeah. in Glorious Bastards. I mean, if Bruce Lee did it, that'd be pretty. <laughs> that would incredible. be. I mean, the you know the ages wouldn't no, work. Sorry, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's some kind of glorified reality where Bruce Lee does not pass away. Um, and kills Manson somehow or some way. That would be epic. Yeah, I'd I mean, be here for it. People are already clamoring for uh, Mike Moe to also play Shang Chi in the MCU. So oh, uh, I'd be on board for that. Um, I'm going to get my ticket to the Gunfest that was John Wick three because it just looks so good. Uh, the like the the twelve shot uh, moments where he's just like going out a guy or he's mm-hmm. picking up three uh, knives and just like chucking it into a dude's chest. Like it just looks top notch action. The story looks like nice and simple, but there's also like a twist I didn't expect where. Like he's worked like the Continentals helping him out, which I was like, okay, great. Yeah, Ian McShay is like, welcome back, buddy. Yeah. Like you got it, and which, I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm a, like, I'm a little confused, but at the same time, like, I don't care. Like, I'm right. I am more than happy to see him and Ian McShane and Lance Reddick like back together, and like if they have to like hold down the fort and defend mm-hmm. the Continental against hundreds of assassins like yes sign me up even more uh so for this movie and uh that motorcycle uh chasing with the samurai whoo that looks every, uh incredible every scene every new scene of that chase that they stitch together makes it look better and better and it better just, and better it just and looks better and better it just looks so incredible um and i think it's really gonna cement john wick uh the trilogy as uh one of the the best action uh, trilogies of all time mm-hmm. so fingers crossed that it delivers in may uh let's jump into the flyby here even though we we wanted to mention that the toy Story 4 trailer wasn't very good uh we're worried that about movie this movie looks insanely bad yeah i'm, I'm i don't know what's happening um and i wish we had more time to discuss it but we don't so we're going to jump into the flyby uh with a surprising but a cool announcement that keanu reeves and alex winters made that uh, they confirmed that bill and ted 3 is officially happening uh it is called bill and ted face the music and will hit theaters august 21st 2020 josh does this do anything for you? Not yet, but I did add Bill and Ted one and two to my Hulu queue. Okay, and I'm going to watch them shortly. Did you like their video announcement? Did you get the the Bill and Ted vibe? I didn't get the Bill and Ted vibe, <laughs> but Keanu Reeves looks like he's excited for it. Yeah. And anytime Keanu Reeves is excited for anything, I think you should just go ahead and get along with it, um, because. Even though the dude plays grim characters all the time, he's always so like upbeat and like 
witty and have, like looking to have fun. Yeah, and I mean, so seeing him get back to roles like that now in his forties, thirties, or however old he is, forties in his fifties. He's fifties. I think so. Like early fifties. Wow, um, it's gonna be fun. And so I feel like that uh, stage is gonna play an important role in Bill and Ted. Based yeah, the music. You, you think so? He's fifty-four, by the way. Woo. Wow. Doesn't look a day over like forty. <laughs> yeah, I got no idea how to tell ages. Um, but yeah, so I mean, yeah, Bill and Ted. Uh, I've only seen the first one. Really fun movie. They're both great. I'm a little concerned about the. You know, it's been so long. Can they mm-hmm. get, can they come back and do this? And like, they 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 both they both definitely look like the part of like. They haven't done this for 30 years, so uh, I'm really uh, interested to see how this comes together, uh, who they get to direct, because I don't think that's been announced yet, um, and all the old kind of details. We also got a report from THR this week that Florence Pugh, uh, the recent Fighting With My Family star, uh, will co-star in Black Widow with Scarlett Johansson. Uh, she will play a fellow spy in the MCU uh, adventure. It's going to hit theaters in 2020, um, unofficially, but it's 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 happening. Um, Josh, we talked about that shortlist a couple weeks ago. Uh, Florence Pugh was not the supposed lead front runner uh for that role at that point but i think she's a really talented actress happy to see her uh join the mcu and hopefully it's not just like a here's a one one time role for her and like it's like a future black widow role or something i don't know yeah who who who's to say but she's having a moment right now fighting with her family she's gonna be in um little women from greta gerwig later this year and midsummer yeah so, so she's going to have a 2019 to remember, probably. Who knows? But come 2020. Come 2020, May, probably. Snap, yeah. She could be a, a name at the top of our tongues for all sorts of casting going mm-hmm. forward, whether or not she sticks around in the MCU or not. It's a prequel film, right? Supposedly, Supposedly? but it's not been confirmed. I don't know. Because if, if it is a prequel film, then like, if we're going back to like Blackwood's origins and like Florence Pugh and Scarlett Johansson would be basically playing like the same age, mm-hmm. which like interesting could work if you go de aging. I mean, Scarlett Chicago looks fantastic no matter what, but like, I don't know. I'm just really interested to see what they do, especially after whatever happens in Endgame, which we have no idea if she yeah. makes that or not. But it, it would be, it would actually suck if that's the case, um, because then she would probably be disposed of. Right. If it's set present day, post Avengers, Endgame then you have her going forward for all yeah. sorts of things. Otherwise, you have to give her some sort of like super-powered serum that makes her age at a slower rate so you can bring her back into the present day. Right. Uh, but we also got uh, an interesting quote from Avi Arad as he talked to Deadline. Uh, that He said he wants Sam Raimi to return to the Spider-Man universe by directing a new animated Spider-Man movie. He said that Raimi just he, he wants him back to give him a call if he's interested at all. I'm interested in this idea, very much so, um, especially if it's in the Spider-Verse vein in any ways. Josh... Are you interested in Sam Raimi coming back to Spider-Man for an animated film? That's a really good question. I don't know. No. Just because he... I'm I'm ready for new voices in Spider-Man. And I really don't... I am not just... He was a good, important... He he captured the New York qualities of Mm Spider-Man perfectly. But, you know, I'm just not really... There are other people I'd rather see direct. Sure. I, I'm not, I don't want to. Rick Famuyiwa comes to mind right off the top. That'd be great. Um, but Sam, like it, it's, I don't know. I just feel like even with the creative team that they have at Sony, he's just a little bit bland of a choice. Right. I don't, I don't want, I don't need him to return and direct Spider-Verse 3 or a, a Spider-Man Noir spinoff or something. I want him to return to the Spider-Verse world 
to direct his version of Spider-Man 4. The the script, the movie he was going to make all the way back in like 2007 or something mm-hmm. uh, that got canned because Sony was pushing for it to hit theaters at a certain point. He was like, I can't make that work. Uh, but he had like the whole script ready. He had John Malkovich being eyed to play Vulture. Uh, Anne Hathaway was going to be Cat, was going to be uh, Felicia Hardy. Like he had this cast assembled. And to see now as we're inundated with Spider-Man content to see like, uh, basically like a what if concept of like what could have been in live action, but through it, like the animated lens, like sign me up. Like if we can get Toby and the whole cast back and Sam Raimi wants to come and like do his, like finish off like his vision like that. Like I'm on board for that. Yeah. No, thank you. Okay. But if you wanted to do like a Peter B Parker standalone, um, sure. Okay. Do that. But I mean, no, I don't want him anywhere near, I mean, it's just there's better better choices. There are better choices. Sure, but not to make his Spider-Man four. That's what I'm saying. If if he ever wants to see that version that that movie told, animation is such a great medium to have that story told and do it on lower budget and bring the cast back and give fans like the hey, we know you're happy with Tom Holland's version now in the MCU and some of you like the Andrew Garfield ones, uh, but here's like an alternate history of what could have happened. Really quick question: Why is oh never mind? My pardon me. Forget it. Okay. Thought he was attached to a World War Z project, but no, that's just, not the case. World War Two or something. World, World War Three. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry. <laughs> on that note, let's move on uh, to a couple of the stories here to wrap up this episode. Coming from the Wrap, uh, they reported that two all the boys of the before star break or breakout star Noah Centineo uh, will play He Man in Sony's Masters of the Universe remake. Uh, Joss, does this do anything for you with Masters of the Universe? Uh, points to a direction of it going towards not being an epic fantasy show and that means that we may get a funny hilarious skeletor hopefully voiced by jason manzoukas oh my gosh which is the only way oh what he's in john wick 3 by the way he is yeah when was that announced like way back i, I feel we, 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 def- we definitely talked about it that surprised me but um yeah noah's you know people think he's a hunk and <laughs> you know he's good in teen comedy so We'll see him go forward from there, but he man, who knows? Yeah, I mean, it was. It's not the route I thought they were going to go with a twenty-two-year-old, like, pretty young star. But he he's six-one. He can bulk up, uh, and yeah, like you said, ladies love him. So if he's basically shirtless for the whole movie <laughs> uh, and jacked, like I'm sure they're going to sell a lot of tickets from S Universe no matter what. So, for sure. Uh, last thing here, Deadline reported that Corey Stoll and Brian Darcy James have joined the cast of Steven Spielberg's West Side Story remake. Uh, two talented additions. Uh, and yeah, I'm excited to get this thing going, hopefully in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean listen, I, I don't know how Spielberg's version is going to turn out, but I'm excited to see this kind of remix done with a little bit more with him hopefully riffing off of the moves and cinematography that came before because Steven Spielberg moves the camera as well as, I mean, he is the, he's the, he's the uh, maestro of just doing swoops and pans and like all of these things. So one last like ode to the wild and precise and creative cinematography that it is in West Side Story, I think will be the most glorious part of this whole thing. Corey Stoll is, will he'll crush it. Yeah. Uh, that's all we have for this week. Before we sign off, Josh, next week, we'll be back with a review of Dumbo. Uh, any, in, any interest, level of interest in this movie? Dumbo looks really cute. And Danny DeVito in his top hat and circus costume, I'm sure will be funny. 
and that's about all I got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's Tim Burton. I'm never, I've never been like the biggest Burton fan. Uh, so, I mean, I'm going to probably rewatch the animated movie for the first time in 20 years or so this uh, week. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how the animate, the live action remake goes. So uh, we'll also be back this week with a big question as we continue our breakdown of IO9's best sci-fi fantasy movie of the last decade bracket in honor of Mark Mattis, which is currently uh, going on now. Our bracket is still looking pretty good mm-hmm. in terms of our movies we've chosen because there's no there's no right or wrong answer. <laughs> That's right. uh, it's just ours. Uh, but uh, if you want to see the bracket so far, see what we choose, um, and even want to send us your own brackets as well as your thoughts on this episode, you can do that by Twins After Film, and you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head over to iTunes and give us a positive review with comments. Tell us why you enjoyed this to the show. Thanks again for listening to the Friends on Podcast. Josh, thank you for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our future episodes.